Happy Thanksgiving, Erica. Happy Thanksgiving, Stephen. Yes, we call it Thanksgiving up here, and in your original country of the uh, States, we call it American Thanksgiving, whereas you call this Canadian Thanksgiving, and your Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. That's how that works. That was a very convoluted way of explaining it. But yes, it is Thanksgiving here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are doing an episode of Lazy Doctor Who. Probably, I don't think we're going to do the marathon that we sometimes do on holidays. I'm not actually feeling great today. So one episode of Doctor Who, episode two Uh of The Sea Devils is probably enough for now. That's enough for now. I mean, uh, so I'm watching um, season 18 uh, on the 40th anniversary of its original broadcast. I'm watching one episode a week. And you realize how <laughs> incredibly spread out that feels in this day and age when we watch a whole story at once or over the course of like two nights. But that is the way it was intended. And uh, it's kind of fun just to watch one episode every week and then you kind of forget about it and then you come back to it and mm-hmm. you know you really appreciate those reprises, let me tell you. Especially the extra long ones in Megloss. Right. Megloss, one of the most padded stories in existence, just to bring it within striking distance of an adequate running time. Um, I suspect we'll finish Megloss pretty quickly when the time comes that we uh, cover it on this podcast because we'll have lots of time to watch the episodes because they're so short. That's true. Very true. But not this one. This one is a standard length episode two of the Sea Devils Mm -hmm. where uh, we see a Sea Devil... Um, haven't seen a lot of them that uh, yet, actually. It's been mostly the master. No, with their cool, like, weird palm gun. Is that what we're calling it? Well, that's what I'm calling it. Like, oh. basically, normally when you hold onto a gun, yeah. you know, think about the way that you do it. You could point your finger, yeah. your, your pointer finger. We're and pointing our fingers right now. I've... And you'd be pointing at the person that you're shooting at. With that gun, like, he's, like you put your arm up. And when you point your pointer finger, it's pointing up at the ceiling. So it's like your palm is facing toward the person that you're shooting at. Right. So that's why I called it a palm gun. There's probably some specific name for it. But I feel like to get to get it across, if there are people listening who have never seen this story and they want to know how that gun works, it's, it basically looks like a flashlight that you hold in front of your palm. I can't tell if it was like a flashlight basically holding your palm like stop in the name of love or are you holding it like, a, uh-uh. like an iron? No. No. no, it looked like he, he was holding it like, like maybe more like you would hold on, well, it looked like uh, you would hold on to a bar to do a push-up or a pull-up, like a chin-up. Like <laughs> You'll have to like explain that. that to me because I don't do pull-ups. <laughs> har, har, har. Uh, or, or if you were like lifting a bar up above or perhaps if you were um, using a rag to wash a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually more like what it looked like. Yeah, it it was a time time. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not timely. Time sensitive. Sensitive time. It, it took a lot of time to do because they, mm. they they had a little flash charge in them, but they only fired off one, and they had to like basically re-trigger it and you must hook up another charge. So so basically, um, when you see like one flash of it go off, you realize that okay, that's the that's it. If you see a second one in the same scene then a lot of time has been taken to uh, rig up that, that gun again. But it's an impressive effect, I think. Yeah, yeah, it looked cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what else? So we had um, uh, the doctor running away from the sea devil in the fort. I really liked the Dutch angles that Michael E. Bryant used to, sorry, Michael Bryant used <laughs> um, to capture that. It's a very rare instance in Doctor Who to have such weird 
oblique angles for you know and just a, a standard chase it sort of creates you know some visual interest in a, in a chase mm-hmm. down a, a short corridor i thought yeah especially since at least in one of those corridors you have the uh sort of x of the bars underneath the staircase that the you know they have to run through so it's it's kind of it lends it some, that i thought would have made it interesting in and of itself but then mm-hmm. you also put the am- the angle of the camera canted to one side and it's uh yeah it's cool looking it is cool. In the previous episode, in order to show uh, the characters w- climbing up a ladder onto a, a second level there, he actually angled the camera to look up at a mirror, which is placed on the roof or the ceiling of the uh, the television studio, which angled down to where it was. So they didn't actually put a camera up there. They were shooting a mirror to get there. there there's lots of different little visual ways to make a BBC set look much more interesting than it was. And I thought Bryant did a very good job with that. Yeah, he sure did. And uh, and the doctor got to show his handiwork at taking a radio and turning it into a transmitter. Because you can do that, apparently. I don't know much about that kind of science, but I'll, I'll believe you, Doctor Who. Joe did not um, believe it. She was kept doubting him. You don't really believe you can do that with the thing, and then he, mm-hmm. he goes to prove him wrong. Yeah, that was... I would like to believe that she was just sort of ribbing him a little bit and that she actually did believe that he was going to be able to do it and make it work because, I mean, she's been around long enough to recognize that the doctor actually does have some technical skills. Mm -hmm. So I, I, in my head canon, that's just banter. I agree. I suppose so. It just, you know, maybe she does that to help balm his soul Mm -hmm. so that he can like be inspired to prove her wrong. Mm -hmm. And then he does. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to, to her credit, too, he gets it wrong the first time and they hear That's a true. DJ instead. As voiced by Michael Bryant mm. is the DJ. Yeah. Little fun fact for you there. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It is pretty fun. Um, yeah. No, apparently, I, I seem to recall that in college, we were each uh, tasked with buying like a, a little tape recorder and a microphone for when like we go out and go uh, like report on stuff get uh, mm-hmm. like uh, audio for for news stories and such and i seem to recall that we actually learned how to turn the microphone into a speaker whoa we could do we could actually turn it into a speaker to listen to things and so uh it, it makes complete sense that you can just sort of like rejigger everything and the and the speaker could, could become a microphone so yeah it's it's believable science Sure, I believe it. <laughs> um, boo, what else? Uh, the master? What else do you want to talk about here? I really like the fact that when Joe sees the master walking around the naval base, the doctor immediately believes her. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is really important because sometimes you get like people, <clears throat> specifically the doctor, doubting the companion, and it just most of the time doesn't make sense because... You know, the reason that the doctor and the companion have such a great bond is supposed to be this trust. And then the doctor's like not believing that the companion saw something that mm-hmm. they clearly did. And here it's just like, you know, he turns around and he's like, you need to do a security lockdown because this lady right here, she just saw a bad dude walking around. He just totally he's on board with it right away. Yeah. Uh, you know, because she has seen the master and, of course, has encountered him many times, as many times as the doctor has in the past couple of years. Um, I'm trying to think like I want to say that in the past she thought she saw somewhere in the Axos episode uh, where he thought maybe she saw Bill Filer and he didn't believe it. Or mm-hmm. and then maybe later on it says, oh, no, I totally believe you, you know, or maybe the day of the Daleks thinking like uh, maybe I saw some ghosts and stuff. But uh, but because it was the master, nope, 
she knows she knows what's going on i trust mm-hmm. her yeah i suppose that does make sense they have a they have a history so it's something that she's totally familiar with mm-hmm. but anyway i i just i still like that yeah uh what else happened in this episode um there's some fun music and the master uh, sneaks onto the base i i find it very curious the the relationship the the scenario where the master exists in the prison where obviously he has control of trenchard mm-hmm. but he he legitimately doesn't have control of the guards. Like when they in episode one, where they send the guard in to to prove that the master can't hypnotize them. You know, when you know what happens later on, you think maybe that whole thing was an act. They sent the guard in to pretend not to be hypnot, or the master would like pretend to hypnotize even though he wouldn't do it, just to show that. But no, quite clearly. The guards are there mm-hmm. and fully in charge, and it's only Trenchard's um, orders that are that are getting him in and off the base. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, the master wouldn't have to hide in the back of that little truck thing. Wouldn't have to hide. Wouldn't have to uh, knock out the guard, like sort of rig up the uh, air conditioning and have the guard come in and have mm-hmm. to knock him out, and steal his gun and his uh, knife. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I find that very intriguing that it, that he still is mm-hmm. actually a prisoner. He always was, and it only took a weak-willed um, bore like uh-huh. Trenchard to come in and be um, susceptible to hypnotism to get for the master to get what he wants. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then we also get the uh, the famous sword fight. Very famous sword fight. Um, it's a good sword fight, actually. And that's Pertwee doing all his own stuff. I think Derek Waring is appearing in uh, in, in, in the back uh, from reverse for some of Delgado's stuff, especially the flip over the uh, the table and stuff, too. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was quite clever. It's interesting that a prison would have, like, several fencing swords just hanging outside of the uh, prison like that cell. But uh, Yep, that's that's a weird thing to me. But sure, why not? It was probably like an X fort or something like that who's gonna steal a sword i mean come on we got guns now yeah they're they're decorative really and they were not set up like they were decorative but whatever yeah that's true Mm -hmm. how sharp were they really he didn't even like slash holes in that curtain that's true you know the government property the government property also as you say the sandwich agenda we'll see it later on in this this episode but uh after i i do like after the break so like he's you know he's he's got the 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 sword on his chest and the master's looking defeated and stuff and the doctor takes a bite of the sandwich and then gives him back the sword so they can keep fighting i just thought that is you called it i called it the kind of fun and swashbuckling you called it smug yeah i said you smug bastard you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was kind of smug of him yeah mm-hmm. yep it very much was he's like mm-hmm. the cat that's you know playing with the the mouse or whatever yeah yeah anything else about this uh, this one episode of uh, you old doctor who now I want a sandwich. I, I know. I haven't had a sandwich in a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to make them regularly back when I ate meat, actually. Oh, well, yeah. I used to make ham and cheese sandwiches, and they make like fake ham, but I never make ham and cheese sandwiches. Well, you should do that. And every time you do, think about the doctor and the master sword fighting. Or, as we'll see later on in the story, I could think of Joe. I could I could have some sandwiches on behalf of and in protest for Joe, who gets none. Oh, I will have plenty to say about that. <laughs> on our next episodes of Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>